now. All right, if you'd like to, you can turn to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings, um, we're going to be starting in verse eight, or chapter 18. We're going to move around quite a bit. There's a lot of scripture, and so that's why we'll move kind of quickly. But I uh, feel like this is where the Lord would have us to go. The title of the message today is A Recipe for Revival. And what I think you'll find is interesting is that I don't know there really is a recipe, but I thought that would get your attention. <laughs> so we're going to look at this passage. Uh, the Lord has really been speaking to my heart again about the idea of a miracle. And uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that in just a second. Let's look in verse 21, 1 Kings 18, verse 21. And Elijah, he came unto all the people and he said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. A word. What is revival? Have you ever been part of revival? I think it was just about a year ago there um, in Kentucky, there at the seminary at Asbury, that revival broke out. And the way that it broke out was the word of God was being spoken and people were being drawn and lives were being changed and people were being humbled and repentant. And there was a change in a whole community that God worked on that place. When I lived in Salem, Illinois, I remember we had a pastor there at, in Nazarene Church and he fasted for two weeks, and he, there was a drama team coming in, and he prayed that God was gonna bless that drama team, and the whole town, Salem was about 8,000 people, the whole town knew that that drama team was there, and that drama team stayed on for like two weeks. They were supposed to do one or two nights. They stayed on for two weeks, and people in the school started getting saved, and their lives were changed in the school I was at, and that was revival. Can we make revival happen? We cannot, okay? So that's what I wanted to challenge you today. A recipe is probably not the best idea, but we're going to look at some things that I think really stand out as part of bringing people back to God, and we're going to see it here through this story, really famous story of Elijah. And so I hope that you will hear what the Lord has for you in this passage. The first thing I want to look at is that sometimes before revival comes, God must get our attention, he must get our attention. If you will, go back to 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, and let's see here just a little bit about what is happening. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, Ahab is the king, as the Lord God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next five years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. Verse 5, so he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now, if you look at the book of James, James tells us that this would be three and a half years how would we do with three and a half years of no water? This summer was kind of light on the rain, and that got to be kind of inconvenient for a lot of people, didn't it? Could you imagine no rain for three and a half years? How valuable would water be? I mean, we've even in our own country seen where, like in California, they begin where they can't 
do any more sprinkling of the lawns. And if you looked at some of those massive lakes out there out west, they were dropping by 50, 75, 100 foot because of the drought out there. And that, again, was only for a season. This is going to be for three and a half years. So think about all the implications of no rain for that long a time. I'm going to tell you today that I think the reason the Lord was doing this is he was trying to get the attention of his people. As people were no longer seeking him, a few of them were, but many of them were trying to find other things that might make the magic happen. And so they began to worship a God by the name of Baal. And who really brought in this God was a, a queen, and her name was what? Anybody know? Jezebel. You heard of Jezebel? Right. So Ahab and Jezebel, and that is who has come. And I, I want to challenge us this morning. What does it take for God to get our attention? I don't want it to take anything, right? I want to be listening good enough that if the Lord says something, I want to be able to hear it and obey it. And yet his people were so calloused that he has to do something as tremendous as a three and a half year drought to get their attention. Now go over to 1 Kings chapter 18 and let's look there in a few verses here this morning. After a long time in the third year, again, the third year of the drought, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria and Ahab had summoned Obadiah who was in charge of his palace. Really important thing here. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. Skip on down to verse 12 if you would. I don't know where the Spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, fifty in each, supplied them with food and water, and now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. He will kill me. Elijah said, as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. Elijah is about to do something unbelievably, incredibly fantastic. If you read those verses in between, you'll see that King Ahab and Obadiah, they went out to the countryside trying to find some sort of green grass, some sort of water for the animals of the king. I'm sure the king's animals got priority over everybody else, right? <laughs> While they're out walking around, Obadiah went one way, King Ahab went another. Guess who runs into Obadiah? Elijah, the prophet. Elijah shows up, and Obadiah's like, oh no, what's going on here? Elijah says, I'm going to go, the Lord has told me, I'm going to go see the king today. Well, what's really interesting is the king has been looking for Elijah that he might take him out. Because Elijah is the reason for the drought. Wow. Elijah tells Obadiah, I'm going to present myself to the king. What does Obadiah say? Why'd you say that? If you don't show up, you know what's going to happen? You know that crazy Jezebel? She's already been trying and successfully killing some of the prophets of the Lord. Elijah, don't you know I've been hiding prophets? I hit a hundred prophets, 50 in one cave and 50 in the other, so Jezebel wouldn't find them. But you're telling me to go tell the king that you're going to go meet him, and if you don't show up, 
Who knows? We know how the Lord is with you. He takes you one place and puts you another. His reputation preceded him, didn't he, right? Obadiah was very nervous, and Elijah said, I promise the Lord is God. I will see Ahab today. Now, here's what I want to tell you today. It is good to have some Obadiahs in their places, isn't it? Where was Obadiah? Who was he serving? This wicked, Baal-worshipping king and his wife, and yet God had placed his person in that kingdom so he might have influence. Sometimes you may feel like our culture is against us, the politics may be against you, but I'm going to tell you, God is still placing his people in influential places that his name will be made great. We need to be obedient, and we need to be thankful for people like Obadiah. Obadiah is obedient to the Lord. He'll be obedient to Elijah. And I pray maybe today the Lord is speaking to you about being an Obadiah. Let's look at the confrontation, going down to verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab, and he told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, I love this, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? The king sees Elijah and says, Hey, troublemaker, what are you doing? <laughs> Basically. Look down at verse 18. I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands. You have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Here's a problem with Ahab. He sees the, the famine, but he doesn't get the message from the Lord, does he, right? He sees Elijah as the trouble, but the trouble is his own sin. Um, I think it was in Sunday school this morning, Jacob worded it pretty well, kind of like John the Baptist. When you speak truth to power, it doesn't always go well, does it, right? But the problem is not the truth. The problem is the sin. In our own hearts and in the hearts of our community and our country, we have to continue to speak truth, just like Elijah would speak here to Ahab. You guys know the story. He calls for the showdown. He asks for all of the prophets of Baal, the prophets of Asherah to show up, and then basically, penology here, a little paraphrasing, we're going to see who the real troublemaker is. Look on down to verse 20. We're going to see the question. The question so Ahab sent word throughout all Israel, and he assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people, and he said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Now, what do you think a lot of the people even thought of Elijah? It's his fault. He's the one who's brought this curse on us. He's the one who's the trouble, right? And so he asked the question, and I think this is a question for all of us today, how long will you waver? Right? Here's the thing. These people had grown up knowing the Lord. They knew that Jehovah was the one true God. But what happened, what happens a lot of times is Money and power begin to speak and wield influence. Ahab married a lady who was a worshiper of a false god of a Baal, and the next thing you know, he's buying into her 
um, mysticism and her ideas about this little idol that's going to make all this difference. And, of course, the people, they're scared of the power, and so what do they do sometimes because they're scared? They follow right along, don't they, right? They knew from their childhood the one true God, but now they're wavering, and they're like, well, maybe we better follow this Baal. Maybe the Baal will be the thing that, that makes it happen. And so Elijah asked the people, how long will you waver? Let me say this this morning. We will not experience God or real revival if we continually switch back and forth between the world and the word. Do you want to have your cake and eat it too? That's hard, isn't it, right? We want to plan well, we want to do well, but I think sometimes we're so worried about our own success that we forsake and we waver when the Lord would have us not waver. God is looking for a people who have a single heart to seek him and him alone. So then he asks a really simple question. Who is God? Who is God? And I'm going to put it to you this way today. Who is God? Hey, the preacher actually has cash today. Is this God? Are you sure? Do you worship it? Do you pray to it? Does it influence you? Does it guide your decision-making? Does it guide your relationships? Does it guide your time? See, I know most of you probably don't have a bail at home, but every one of you has some of this, maybe in a digital form, someplace, right? And what I would challenge you this morning, that this is our bail. How long will you waver? Who is God in your life? Who gets your worship? Who gets your time? And again, he speaks so simply and so clearly and so truly. If the Lord is God, do what? Follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. If Baal really is God, follow him. If money is the most important thing, follow it. But I'm preaching today just like Elijah did. If the Lord is God, follow him. Let him be your influence. Let him be your guide. Let him make your decisions in your life and quit letting Baal or that love of money make all the decisions in your heart. What the people say? Did they go, the Lord is God? Nope. Did they go, Baal is God? Nope. They went, hmm. Again, think of the audience. Who's there? 950 what? Prophets of Baal and Asherah, right? I don't really want them to know what I think about this. Are you tracking with me? Yesterday was so awesome because it was so clear. Big Mike didn't care. He loved God. He was telling a cousin that he got dunked <laughs> at Crossland. And yet sometimes what do we do? The people in our office, the people in our business, sometimes in our neighborhood, the idea comes out, are you a believer in God? We're like, mm, well, I am, but everybody doesn't have to know that, right? The Lord makes it clear. Lord, help us not to be ashamed of the Lord. Again, I'm going to think this is, again, some penology, but I think some of them were probably scared if they made a public profession, so they just stayed quiet. So here's the first question this morning. How would you answer? How would you answer? If the Lord is God, follow him. If money is God, follow it. Which one of these things 
are driving the decision-making in your life. Let's put it the way Jesus said it, much better than I have. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. How long will you waver? How long will you waver? Who is God? If the Lord is God, follow him. Well, look at the showdown in verse 22. Verse 22. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves. Let them cut it into pieces, put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And I'll prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Verse 24. Then you call on the name of your God. Now I'll call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, well, what you say is good. Look in verse 25. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls, prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull, given them, and they prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. Verse 27. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. I love this. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's a deep in thought or busy or traveling. (laughs) Maybe he is sleeping and he must be awakened. So they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response, no one answered, and no one paid attention. How do you like these odds? Now, is Elijah the only prophet around? He acted like he was. The Lord's going to correct him later on that. (laughs) But in this instance, there's 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, and one Elijah. Sometimes when you're serving the Lord, you might feel alone. Are you alone? Who was with Elijah? God was with him. You're the Lord today. You might feel alone. You're not alone. God is with you. So you guys know the contest. It's laid out pretty well there in the scripture. The people even agree. They're like, hey, that sounds pretty good. Let's see what happens. The people who are quiet are like, well, that sounds like a good deal. Let's see what happens there. The prophets of Baal begin to cry out, and then Elijah starts to taunt them, right? Is he thinking? Is he sleeping? I love it. Is he gone on a trip? (laughs) Is he traveling, right? Where's he at? And so then what do they do? And the Bible says it was their custom. They began to cut, to cut themselves and to bleed. They were showing their earnestness, hoping that Baal would answer. Can a piece of wood or a piece of gold or a piece of metal, can it answer? It can do nothing. But they were trying. And again, I love the end of that paragraph there. The NIV words it and says, there was no response, there was no answer, and no one paid attention. Hear me this morning. Only the Lord can respond. Only he can answer. Only he will pay attention. He is the one true God. There is no other. Money is not the answer. Man, that's hard, isn't it, in our world today? Our kids are taught that so much. 
Money is the answer, right? What do you do? You go to school. You go, Blessing's working on her degree, so hopefully she'll have a good degree, right? My kids the same way. I did the same thing. You want a good degree so you have a good job? So what, you can do what? So you can make a lot of money, amen? Because if you make a lot of money, everything's easier, right? You can go to the store, get what you need. You can get insurance. You can have a nice car. If something breaks, you can pay to get it fixed. Money is awesome, isn't it? And what happens is our kids' mentality early on gets shifted to where they think, well, the Lord is good, but I got to have money or I'm not going to make it. And we begin to put our trust in Baal instead of putting our trust in the Lord. By the way, it's not just a teenager problem, is it? Hello? Yeah. Can you trust the Lord to be the provider, or you feel like you've got to be the provider? Wow. So again, you see the odds, and we have the bales in our own lives. Money is definitely the issue. But here's where I really wanted to hit home today. You guys listen. Woo! I don't know who it is or what it is. If it's me, I want to hear it and I want to obey, but maybe it's one of you today. But sometimes revival begins with a miracle. And I think God is wanting to do another miracle in our church family. I want to tell you, Big Mike is a miracle. If you were sitting here yesterday, if there wasn't anything as obvious and as plain and as clear Anna said, I talked to him. He said he didn't need Jesus. He was good. Michael said he felt like he had just had to give up on him because he just wasn't going to come around. Everybody was like, well, he's going to do his thing. And the next thing you know, he's having a conversation. He said, well, I prayed today. <laughs> and here this man that starts out walking 0.28 of a mile ends up walking three miles as he's also feeding his soul. It's a miracle. The only way to explain it is God. And I'm challenging you today. And again, we don't get to invent the miracle, right? We don't get to pick it. But I think God has a miracle for us. We need to hear it and pursue it, just like Elijah knew that he was obeying the Lord. Elijah didn't decide he wanted to do what he wanted to do. He was doing what God told him. I think if we can find what the miracle is, God will challenge the skeptics in our own community, and he will encourage the church. So again, you bear with me today, and let's see where the Lord would lead us there. Verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me, and they came to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which, which was in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. Verse 32, with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed. Verse 33, he arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. And he said to them, fill four large jars of water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Verse 34, he says, do it again. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. They did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar, even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I'm your servant and have done all these things at your command. Did you catch that? God was telling him what to do. Verse 37, answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Verse 38, 
Then the fire of the Lord fell, burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, <laughs> licked up the water in the trench. That's the God we serve. Elijah starts at verse 30, he says, come to me. Here's what I want to tell you today. God is always calling his children back to him. And they may be Indian, and they may be Burmese, and they may be from South Central Illinois. <laughs> God is calling his people back to him, amen? He's drawing them. He's pulling them in. Elijah brought the people to one of the altars of the Lord. Whew, this is hard. Elijah said, I'm going to repair the altar of the Lord. Because the altar of the Lord was in disrepair. And that's why the people were far from God. You guys, if we do nothing else, we got to make sure that the altar of the Lord is not in disrepair. I'm not talking about this church facility. It needs a lot of work, doesn't it? <laughs> and it's easy for it to fall in disrepair, isn't it? I'm talking about the house of the Lord, the house where the Spirit of God inhabits. And sometimes we let it fall in disrepair, don't we? Lord, help us, right? Because of the lack of worship, the lack of surrender, the lack of commitment, the altar was in disrepair, and the Lord, through Elijah, had to fix that first. When we fail to cling to God through Christ in prayer and study in fellowship and service, we too were forsaking the altar of the Lord. And if you neglect the altar, please hear me today, and I'm speaking to myself too. If you neglect the altar, you may find that you or your children or your grandchildren will pay the price for your neglect. We don't want that, do we, right? Don't neglect the altar of the Lord. And again, they're wavering. I want to say to you today that I think another thing that needs to take place before we might see revival is the repairing of the altar. So very simply this morning, repairing the altar means making worship a priority. I'm not just talking that you would show up on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. When worship is a priority, when do you worship? All the time. Headed to work, headed home from work, at work. <laughs> when you're praying for your meal, before you go to bed at night, when you wake up in the morning, you are worshiping. That's how you keep that altar from needing disrepair. Worship it needs to be a priority. Prayer and surrender, key elements of your life, it's time to make sure that worship is a priority again. So what does Elijah do in this scenario that just is unbelievable? He repairs the altar, he gets the sacrifice, he puts the stones around to represent the 12 tribes of Israel, puts the wood out, and then what does he call for? The most precious thing at the time more precious than gold, more precious than silver, more precious than any perfume, he calls for the water. Three and a half years, no water. He says, get the water. And then what does he say to do? Throw it on a sacrifice. Let it pour to the ground. Can you imagine the people? They're like, what is he doing? Why was he dumping the water? We need the water. And he does it how many times? Three times. Four big old seas he dumps on the sacrifice. And how can I say this very carefully again this, this morning? You guys remember the story of Elijah and the widow who was uh, running out of oil? And she goes and Elijah says, just go ahead and make one last one for me. And I'll, the Lord will take care of things. <laughs> By the way, that was at the beginning of the three and a half years. So for three and a half years, 
the oil never ran out. How, why would you be so crazy as to pour your water out on the ground in a famine? Because God said so. Why would you quit this job and take this job when the economy is so crazy? Because God said so. Why would you leave your family and your friends to go to a country to tell people about Jesus who have never heard when you have so many good things here? Why would you do that? Because God said so. And he will provide. For three and a half years, he provided for the widow. And Elijah knew that there was going to be plenty of water in just a few hours. <laughs> so he dumps it on the sacrifice. Oh, man. Again, you might be saying, if I give this up, I won't have any left. Make sure to obey God. Listen to him. He will provide. And so here comes the miracle. The fire falls down, doesn't it? Is it just any old fire? Is it a little spark on the side? The kind of the kind that maybe you get down, you know, when you're trying to roast your hot dog, but you got to sit there for an hour and a half. <laughs> What's that fire do? It consumes. It consumes the sacrifice. It consumes the wood. It consumes the stones. It consumes the water. Because God's fire, he demonstrates that I am the one true God. Woo, same God we serve today wow it consumes it all because god was calling the hearts of his people back to him again maybe it's time we started praying for a miracle i want to see one don't you all right verse 39 here comes the rain when all the people saw this they fell prostrate and what did they cry <laughs> a little bit the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And what all the people cry? The Lord, he is God. He's God. I'm going to follow him. We need that. We need it in our schools. We need it in our workplaces. We need that in our church, that encouragement. The Lord is God. I'm following him. And that's what they did. Verse 40, Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. And they seized them, and Elijah had them brought to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them. Verse 41, Elijah said to Ahab, go and eat and drink, for there is the sound of what? Heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel. He bent down to the ground, put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told the servant, and he went and he looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. And the seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, a wind rose, a heavy rain came, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking in his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. That's our God. The Lord had ordained three and a half years of drought. And the Lord ordained it was going to rain. Now, on interesting, this day, the, the oil will probably stop flowing, right? Because <laughs> the Lord had taken care of it for the time for that widow. Again, minds are flooded for these Israelites of all the times in their past, and now the Lord is calling them back out. The sin of the falsehood was cut out, literally, in Elijah's case, if we're going to see revival, we need to sin, see sin cut out of our life. 
Again, sometimes we think we can hide our sins, we can get away with things, maybe even for years, but payday is coming, and when God reveals himself, our sins will be exposed. I find it very interesting that Ahab does exactly what he's told by Elijah. He was looking for him to kill him, and now he's, he's obeying him word for word. Even Ahab knows the one true God. Soon enough, the rain comes down. Ahab is confronted with the third miracle of the day. Elijah outruns him all the way to Jezreel. Right? You guys, here's what I want you to seek the Lord with me today. Again, we don't get to pick the miracle, but I think God is calling for a miracle. And we need to hear his voice, and we need to pray and see what God would do. <clears throat> Final illustration this morning from Salter Michael. It says, I once met a brother from Ghana, West Africa, who was completing his PhD in the School of World Missions at Fuller Theological Seminary. During one of his trips home, he attempted to share the gospel with several people who lived in his community. Although they listened respectfully, no one turned to Jesus. He later learned that they were intimidated by a witch doctor who lived nearby. The witch doctor kept a symbol of his authority hanging outside his home. It was a lattice basket filled with water, and it never leaked. My friend decided to pray that God would empty the basket. He stayed outside the home of the witch doctor, and he prayed all night that God would demonstrate his power. At some point, he even fell asleep. The next morning, he was awakened by a commotion. The basket was empty. That town saw a mass revival as people learned about the God who caused the water to come out of the witch doctor's basket. There had been a power encounter, and God had won. Sing God. Would you like to see a revival in our community? Man, I would. I'm not telling you to go set up an altar and sacrifice a bull after church today, <laughs> all right? But we need to listen to the Lord as he prompts our hearts about the miracles that he wants to do through us. Again, I've said it so many times already, but Big Mike was a miracle, but I don't think that's the last one that God wants to do through us. Let's seek the Lord, pray for his name to be exalted in our community. We can't force revival, but here are four things to consider. First, we need to stop wavering and stop being quiet about the God we serve. We need to rebuild the altars, make sure they're not in disrepair. The old altars of surrender and submission and worship, we need to make sure they're in good shape. We need to start speaking out the truth that the Lord, he is God. We need to do that. And finally, we need to listen and pray for the miracles that God wants to do around us, amen? You guys, thank you so much for your patience. I know that was long, but I feel like different parts, the Lord has got something to challenge each of you with today. Let's stand this morning. We're gonna have just a moment of quiet, yeah, some time for you to pray and respond, and then we'll have our normal end of service things. But I wanna ask you again this morning, first off, are you wavering between the Lord and the Baal? What's guiding your decisions today? Make sure it's the Lord. Money is a great tool, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, right? So be honest before the Lord about are you wavering or not? 
And then today, if you would, and I, this is what your preacher's been doing, and I'm trying to get the mind of the Lord, and I need your help, and you do too. We need our, each other's help. But what is the miracle? I, I just think God wants to do something incredible that can only be answered that he's the one who did it. But we don't get to pick it. We don't get to choose it. We need to know what it is that he wants to do. And then we, like Elijah, praying and sending the servant back seven times, we like the man praying out there at the witch doctor's door. We need to pray that God will do the miracle. And then when he does, we just need to celebrate and praise the Lord. So let's take a moment of quiet reflection here, and then we'll have prayer together.